Okay. We're going to talk about social media in the workplace. And hopefully, you haven't been to a class before. Hopefully, this is new to most of you to discuss how social media fits in the workplace. Most of us have a Facebook account or Twitter or some other type of social media account. Uh, have you seen something like this ever? What, how would you feel if you saw this posting on Facebook? Guess who we did an x-ray on yesterday? Results not good. Would you think that that was an appropriate thing to post on Facebook for a business person or somebody in radiography or not? Is it legal or illegal? Because it's a very good question just to throw out there. I got a few people thinking it's yes, it's, it's legal. Um, and it, this depends on where you live and what the rules are and what, what, what type of uh, environment you're working in, what type of company you work for. It's a very good question. Could you be fired for that Facebook posting? If you posted, guess who we did a mammogram on? Could it be traced back to the person um, who, who, could someone figure out who the person was by what you said on Facebook? You could. I mean, it depends on what type of situation it is. It depends where you work. Do you work in a small town? Do you work in, you know, Houston, where I am here with four million people? But if it could be traced back where you could identify the person that you're discussing in the posting, then that uh, might be a problem for you. How many in this audience have a Facebook page? I Almost all of you only had two no's, people who don't use social media. So most all of you use social media and have a Facebook page or use some other type of social media. How many of you have ever chatted on Facebook with your friends? About the same, all but two of you. On back um, statistically, back in January of 2009, there were about 42 million people in the USA using Facebook. Today, uh, and I, I checked again on January 4th of 2014, there were 180 million people now on Facebook. That's a growth of 329 percent just in the past five years. And 95% of those users log in daily, and I'm also one of those guilty parties. Demographically, the makeup of people using Facebook is quite interesting. Um, I found that the, the, the teens, 13 to 17, make up 28% of the demographics. I thought it would be much higher, um, but they've, I mean, excuse me, they make up 20 13 to 24 make up 28 percent. The teens that are 13 to 17, so you got your middle school and high schoolers, declined in the last three years by 25 percent. But I told you we grew by 300 and something percent. So where did that growth come from? The over 55 group grew 80 percent in the last three years. The 25 to 34 year olds stayed about the same. They're at 25 percent of the demographics. And the 35 to 54-year-old range, that's where I fall in, we stayed about the same. Men make up about 43% of the users, women 55, and then you have 2% unknown. They didn't post their gender. So grandma, the over, <laughs> and I say that, I'm pretty, I'm, I'm closing in on 55 myself, so I shouldn't be joking, but, but 
but the uh, seniors have discovered Facebook and they're enjoying using it. And I, I, I the funny thing is, I talk, I one of my aunts that is in her late seventies Facebooked me a mess instead of emailing me or texting me, she Facebooked a message to me just today. So you have this over older crowd using Facebook as their main method to communicate with their friends and family. I thought I'd take it a little farther in my update on this course and uh, see where all the other types of social media fall as far as usage and, um, and, and volumes of people. So I checked. On LinkedIn, 40% of the 259 million users pay for LinkedIn Premium. And I know I have a LinkedIn account. I don't pay for the premium, but I thought that was interesting. Almost half of the users pay for a, a premium service. Makes me wonder if all of them are looking for jobs or not. <clears throat> Instagram it has 150 million users. 60% of those users are in the U.S. That means 40% are not. <laughs> and 55 million photos are shared daily on Instagram, and I know I have a 13, uh, almost 13-year-old 13 at home uh, contributing to that 55 million photos daily. <laughs> She's probably higher than that. Twitter uh, is, has 230 million users. It's kind of interesting to see the differences here. Twitter and LinkedIn are similar, and Instagram's a little less. 77% um, of the users on Twitter, though, are from outside the U.S., meaning only 33% are from inside the U.S. And 83% of Fortune 500 companies have an account on Twitter. A lot of these social media groups are, because of the volumes of people you see here, are advantageous for any company to use to advertise or to put things out there for goodwill, if nothing else. Uh, Pinterest accounts, which if, you're, if you don't know what they are, it's where you pick images and topics and you pin them to boards of things that you're interested in. It's kind of like a giant scrapbook, only they're not all pictures of you. You pin things from other people's accounts, Facebook, websites, wherever you want. And 70% of the clicks on pins, where you post a pin, are within the first 48 hours, meaning within the first two days you'll get more clicks. I think that's about the same for Facebook. You know, If you don't hear from somebody within the first two days, they're probably not going to comment on your Facebook posting. 8% of uh, the Pinterest users are United States men, and all users are more active in the evening on Pinterest. YouTube was interesting. Look at YouTube's number, a billion. You take your 259 LinkedIn and multiply it by almost five, and you have your YouTube users. A billion unique visits a month, and those are all unique visits. 80% of the traffic on YouTube is from the United States, and it reaches more U.S. adults in the age group of 18 to 24 than, all, than both of the cable, major cable networks we have in the United States. In other words, if you're in that age group, you're looking at YouTube. So how many of you have sent a text message to someone today? That's a, say yes in your question box if you have. I'm willing to bank on it that most of you had said yes in that column over there before you even get a chance to say it. 
And uh, our, our old stats in 2010, eight, that doesn't seem that old, does it? Four years ago, 800,000 Americans were texting while driving. They were texting or making a phone call while driving. Those statistics we got off of Cha-Cha. Um, now, if you look at the website down at the bottom of this slide, that's where I got the current statistics uh, because they're more governmental. Uh, February 2014 stats, 12 states out there have handheld phone use laws. 37 states and the District of Columbia ban all cell phone use by novice drivers. That means people age 17 and under. And 20 states in D.C. prohibit the use of cell phones by school bus drivers, which I think that should be higher than 20. I wish it was because that's kind of scary. 41 states and the District of Columbia, Puerto Rico, and the U.S. Virgin Islands, all the U.S. territories basically, um, ban text messaging while driving. In the USA, 23% of all accidents involve texting while driving. That's more than one-fifth of every accident involves texting, not phone calls, texting while driving. I thought that statistic was highly significant. So. That leaves us with this global look at, at what, where the social media is coming from. But let's look at the legal implications of social media because we probably, most of us, there's one of you that said you didn't partake in Facebook. I'm not sure that means you don't partake in all social media. But most of us partake in some type of texting or at least, or some type of social media. So that brings up a lot of issues. There can be discriminatory or derogatory posting issues and legal implications from that. What about threats of violence? Uh, disclosing company information, not just patient information, company information. Confidential information, trade secrets. You know, if we had social media back when Colonel Sanders was hiding his Kentucky Fried Chicken recipe, what could have happened, you know? <laughs> I think it still might be a secret. Defamation of character. Illegal content. Posting things that are illegal. And uh, like drug sales, things like that, you know, selling uh marijuana in a state that doesn't allow it, things like that. Participation in lawful conduct and invasion of privacy. So how can all of these things be implicated um, or implicate us if we use a social media? And basically we need to understand it better because we could be in risky situations. Does your facility that you work at have an electronic use policy? Today, I have to say most companies, big companies in bigger cities definitely, but some smaller ones, have a social media or an electronic use policy. And most of them incorporate policies um, similar to the following. Most of them say that employees should be told that if they have no expectation of privacy regarding the use of internet and social networking sites. So your employer might have a policy that says, you know, if you're at work, anything you get on on the internet and anything you use on your phone or any electronic device, if they even allow you to use a phone, is considered property of the company. Some of them incorporate and reference other employment policies regarding electronic media. 
and most of them uh, have a, if it's consistent with the company policy, prohibit the use of social networking sites while at work or block those sites unless it's required for your job. I know here at Advanced Health Education Center, there are a few of us that have access to our Facebook page and some of our other social media page because that's part of our job to promote our company. But it isn't everyone, and we do have a policy about not using social media at work. <clears throat> Text messages are interesting too. We, we've had phones for quite a while now. I do remember, I am old enough to remember not having phones and not being able to be bothered ever. Um, but now we have them everywhere we go. I remember when I was a little kid, my dad said, when you're older, you'll be able to have a phone on the golf course. And I thought that was so funny. But lo and behold, it didn't take that long. Most of my adult life, we've had cell phones. And 73% of cell phone users text. That's 98.7 million people. It's a lot of people. 50% of those people that text are over 35. That means more than half. And 423 billion text messages are sent each month in the United States. That's a lot of text. More text messages are sent than actual phone calls, which uh, that's been, there's been a 15% increase in the past uh, year from, 2013, from January of 2013 to January of 2014. 15% increase in text messages. And you may be that person too. I mean, you, you might recognize that it's easier to send a text. There's no discussion, argument. Uh, there is interesting inflections in the way you might text. Some of the little winking eyes, smiley faces, sad faces can lead to misrepresentation in text. So what's the legal impact from texting and Facebook and all this other social media? What does our federal law say about employees texting at the workplace? And just like the slide says, it doesn't say a whole lot. It doesn't say a whole lot on the federal level. Most of our laws that uh, cover some of our legal rights at work are handled individually by states. And because most of the laws concerning social media would be fairly new, some of the states are waiting to see what the outcome is going to be of other states' presidents. Can an employer monitor your social media content of its employees? Is it invasion of privacy? Can an employer read your text messages sent on a workplace mobile device? In the lower court, um, there's been some cases where individuals have been allowed to have a reasonable expectation of privacy in stored text messages, but the exceptions are um, when it's an when you're when there's a, an employer electronic use policy that says you can't use your cell phone while you're at work and then you use it at work, then the employer has a right to see what you used it for, or a consent of the writer or recipient was given, or um, it's electronic um, social media like Facebook used while on a work computer. All of those types of situations where a policy exists, an employer may have a right to stored messages as well as what you just sent. But there is no law that requires employers to allow us to use our personal cell phones or make calls 
uh, on a personal level while we're at work. There's no law that says we're allowed to get personal phone calls. I know a lot of us are cringing at that, right? Because you have small children or you have you know, situations where someone in your family might be ill, but technically there's no, there's no law that says we're allowed to do that. When we're at work, we're on the employer's dime. They're paying us to work, not talk on the phone. <clears throat> so that's another issue. And then we bring up another issue. <laughs> There's quite a few of them here. Textual harassment. It's really no laughing matter. What is textual harassment? It's inappropriate or offensive text showing up on an employee's cell phone or in Facebook account that, or any other social media account can be interpreted as sexual harassment via text message or some other way. Even winking or smiling emoticons can make a message seem inappropriate and is advanced by a coworker. Yeah, you may think, oh no, you know, some of the things you send are friendly. I have a habit of smiling because because text and email seems so um, impersonal, and we do so much more communication through email than we do through the phone anymore that I have a habit of, of putting a smiley face on a lot of my emails, especially if I know the person already. I, I, not if it's someone I've never had communications with, but if I know the person, I put a smiley emoticon so they know I was in a happy mood when I sent it and it wasn't something derogatory. <laughs> Sometimes the words can be turned into the mood of the person who's reading them. So I thought the smiley face is a good thing. But if you really think about it, some of these other emoticons, like a winking or you know a big gasping face or a sad face, could actually be interpreted in a stranger way than you'd want them to be interpreted as. <clears throat> so does your employer really have the right to search your personal cell phone if you're using it at work? If they think you're sending a text message to other employees, can they look at your cell phone? Well, again, that's going to depend on your policy for electronic use at that in institution that you work at. But most institutions have some type of policy that says that what you're doing at work is about work, and so therefore they have the right to look at it. So you may want to take that into careful consideration when you're texting one person, a friend down the hall about another person down the hall or any other type of thing that could be traced back to you as inappropriate. Not that y'all would ever do that, right? <laughs> if an employer has a search policy stating that no employee shall ever bring anything to work or store anything at work um, that he or she would not be prepared to show, and that is how most of these go, um, company officials or law enforcement could get into all of your texts, all of your emails. Search policies also might say that employees should not expect a right to privacy with an item they bring to work, whether it's an iPad, an iPad mini, an Android, a cell phone, or a beeper. The beepers are uh, pretty limited to the information they can hold. However, a search must have a legitimate business reason. If the device is a company or government-owned communication, is the company's equipment, and they can search it. Um, another thing that this brings to mind for me too is I remember uh, I, it is it is um, 
legal in a divorce proceeding for someone to obtain records if they think that the other partner was cheating, which happens a lot in divorces, or that they're hiding something. They're allowed to obtain the past uh, text records from the from the company that's like Sprint or T-Mobile or whoever they use. I don't represent any of those companies, or, nor do I represent Facebook or Twitter or YouTube or LinkedIn or any of these companies I'm talking about tonight. But um, one of those phone companies, they all they will all give up to a lawyer if there's a legal proceeding like a divorce, all the text messages and all the phone records. And so that's another thing to keep in mind. If your company had a legal reason to subpoena text messages or emails on your phone or um, even now that we have internet access on our phones, internet Google sites that you searched or Yahoo sites, whatever browser you use, sites that you search, um, that might be something that could get you into trouble because it's searchable. In uh, 2009, House Bill 2003 became effective, effective in Texas, and I, I see almost all of you except for one person is from Texas, um, that uh, amended a, pen, a penalty code, penal code, excuse me, that added a section on online harassment, which classifies the sending of an electronic mail, an email, uh, instant message, a text message, or some other type of communication like that, um, as referencing any identifying information of another person. So if you gave out anything that identified another person, address, age, birth date, phone number, as a Class A misdemeanor, if the communication is sent without obtaining the person's consent or with the intent to cause the recipient, the person who's receiving it, to believe the other person sent the or authorized it, or with the intent or harm to defraud any person. You know, that makes me think of times where someone asked me for my daughter's social security number and I sent it, things like that. Those are issue situations where at least I had her consent. But it could be a class A misdemeanor if you communicate something like that without a person's consent. That's a lot of interesting information there, just, a, just an address. The offense of online harassment upgrades to a third degree felony if the intent is to solicit, to solicit a response by the emergency personnel. I have a story to tell you for this. Um, when my, one of my older children was in high school, there was another girl that she was on a team with. And this other girl had her cell phone stolen or she left it somewhere and someone else picked it up. Either way, uh, in the first couple of periods of, class, of school, in high school, and this was you know, back in the, let's see, my daughter graduated in 2009, so back in about 2007. And during the school day, the girl realized her cell phone had been stolen or lost, and she reported it stolen to the, her teacher. She had not reported it to the principal of the school yet. About midway through the school day, 911 came rushing to the school. Someone had taken her phone into the girl's bathroom and dialed 911 and left it behind a toilet. 
and so the school had a lockdown because anytime a high school has an issue where a 911 is called, they lock them down nowadays. And uh, they locked down the school for a little while, and it was a big deal. The girl, even though she did report it to her teacher, and the teacher knew, and it, and it really wasn't her fault because it was stolen, did get disciplined and put into on, on a... a uh, she wasn't suspend. She was suspended, but not uh, expelled. But she was put into an alternative school. They had an alternative school in that district, where kids who got into a certain amount of trouble had to go to. So she had to switch to an alternative school for a couple of weeks. It was a really big deal. I remember knowing her parents. They were extremely angry that that could happen to them. But it's something to keep in mind if you have kids hauling their cell phone to school, which almost all of us do because it's a very big deal. And kids are smart. They know this is a big deal, and they know that they were getting her in a lot of trouble. So other questions. What about your First Amendment right under the Constitution to freedom of speech? You might be thinking, you know, why can't I say whatever I think about Susie online or my boss online? I, my boss is not my friend. What do I care if they see what I, you know, if they inadvertently see through someone else, then they're spying on me. So what about my rights to freedom of speech? Well, the First Amendment prevents the government from infringing on the citizens' freedom of speech. It has nothing to do with employers. It doesn't stop private employers from limiting their employees' speech. Um, so it does not stop them from limiting your speech. And it prevents the government from infringing upon you. So if you express your negative feelings towards your employer on Facebook or anywhere online, it's the same thing as holding up a poster on a street corner for all the world to see. You might as well be standing there saying, I don't like my employer for whatever reason. Um, could you get into disciplinary action because of that? Yes, you bet. Um, California, Colorado, New York, and North Dakota, four states, have passed laws that limit an employer's ability to terminate you based on a lawful activity, which would include posting on Facebook, as long as you didn't violate their electronic use media uh, protocol or policy. In Texas, an employer can terminate or discipline an employee for their off-duty conduct. Posting from a home computer doesn't eliminate our liability, and after-hour social media can carry liability, so you have to be careful what you say. I like this little guy sitting there, got fired for writing how much I hated my job on my blog. It's not a really good idea to post things about your dislike of your job, no matter how angry you are at the time. And I know human uh, humans get frustrated in their jobs, every single human does, um, because we spend quite a bit of time on our jobs. It's most of our life, and there's no way to never get angry. But you have to stop and think, and it's part of being a mature adult, and I know you guys know that. So don't ever speak for your employer unless you're authorized to do so. Um, posting something on Facebook, unless you're authorized to be uh, a speaker for their Facebook account, or you're an authorized user, and even then you're still at risk. You always want to be really careful what you say. Best not to say anything that involves your employer, uh, unless you own the company. 
or you're, you're you know, one of the authorized users. Also, be really careful who you friend. Um, do you really want to know how your manager and supervisor and other coworkers' personal lives are? Do you really want your coworkers or subordinates, if you're the supervisor, uh, to, to feel like they're obligated to be your friend online? And do you really want them to know what you're doing in your personal time? And it just depends on how much information you post on your Facebook. Did you enjoy this podcast? The remainder of this course is available via our famous webinar program. To view our course schedule, just visit us online at www.ahecconline.com or give us a call at 1-800-239-1361. See you soon.